from the Utah School Counselors Association, this is The Sounding Board, where school counselors share ideas. I'm Nate Webb, school counselor, USCA board member, and every week I'll be speaking with different counselors and professionals that will be giving us valuable information in our counseling world. We cannot wait for you to hear these ideas. Let's get to it. Welcome back, everybody, to the sounding board with the Utah School Counselors Association. Uh, today, we have here with us uh, Provo Canyon Behavioral Hospital. We got Jeremy Cottle, right? Correct. Yes. yes. Oh, oh man. There we go. I'm getting there. Yeah. So I got Jeremy here with us from 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 Provo Canyon Behavioral. I'm super excited. We had it. We had you guys on the podcast last season as well, um, and we're happy to have you guys on again this season. Um, so for those who, who, who didn't listen last season or who knew here around here, um, explain a little bit what Provo Canyon Behavioral Hospital does. Um, just a little bit. So to introduce yourself, folks. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, a little bit about the hospital is, um, you know, and I don't know if you were, Nathan, able to read that article in KSL this week that talked about um, a study that an increase of adolescents and teenagers are seeking um, psychological services at EDs. And we've seen that, you know, prior to the pandemic and even more so now. But um, Mm -hmm. Purple Canyon Behavioral Hospital was created to help adults and adolescents um, with uh, psychiatric mental health needs, anywhere from inpatient to outpatient, um, whether they need uh, assessment for therapy, seeing someone for medication, or even those higher levels of services Mm -hmm. um, for IOP, um, where they can still come and get therapy, group therapy, see a physician, and then go home at night all the way from to where someone might be in crisis and suicidal and and need that inpatient. So we, we, we started this back in 2011 and, and it was in concert with the community and talking to all the hospitals out there about the need that was here in the community. And we've, uh, you know, fortunately been able to help a lot of people. Unfortunately, we've continued to see the need continue to grow. And um, I think there's a lot of neat things being done on the horizon that will hopefully be more of that preventative down the before people need to get to a hospital and certainly right. in that outpatient realm. Right. You guys have real good job security right now, but we don't love that necessarily. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I oftentimes get the pleasure of going into schools and talking to school counselors and educators and um, talking about what some of the challenges are and, um, you know, certainly around the mental health and suicide awareness and prevention and so I think some neat things are going on school by school and some things in the legislature. Right, right. Yeah. I know that, I mean, mental health is becoming a bigger focus across the state, the whole state. Um, and it, it, it is being helpful. Now, I know a lot of counselors, um, a lot of especially high school counselors, their interactions with programs like yours is when we're referring kids over to you guys for suicide ideation. Um, for they have suicidal thoughts and they might have a suicide plan and they need to get direct help and get to get help right away. Um, now that is a scary deer in the headlight situation for a counselor. Mm-hmm. When you come in and a kid, cause you know, you ask them the questions, have you ever thought of hurting yourselves? Yes. Have you thought of killing yourself? Yes. Do you have a plan? Yes. Mm-hmm. Cause at that moment, you know, I'm supposed to, I'm, I'm supposed to get this, like admit this kid somewhere like now. 
but what do I do? And so in those situations, like what are some of the things a counselor can do? Yeah, I, I, you know, that's a great question. And I, you know, Nathan, as you know, I spent a brief stint as a, as a therapist intern in schools. I, yep. I was middle school and, you know, I would get that in my office. And even though that's what I'm supposed to do for a living, it would even, you know, as a new therapist would scare me. Um, and, you know, you're wanting to get this individual help immediately. Um, what, what our goal is, is just to be a resource. And so whether it's the need for inpatient or I need to get this kid somewhere, give us a call, um, give Provo Canyon a call. If, if we can't, or we're full or, um, we will help find a place for that, um, for that individual to go to. And we also provide, you know, free levels of service so we can even assess someone if you need us to in your office or mm. if we can connect um, via FaceTime. We're more than happy to jump on and do that level of service and help you find placement for. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think a lot of times people just don't know who to call or like what to do. And in those instances, counselors, you're your on-site supervisor, your principal is your best friend. If you ever have questions, talk to your admin, talk to your principal, be like, hey, this person said this, what the heck do I do? Um, they'll help you out there. Now, I don't know, what have you noticed with like, I don't know, I, I, I'm not gonna, I don't wanna say the kids have been less resilient, but I feel like they've been, ha- they've been struggling more to use the resiliency skills that I thought most kids had. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. We've seen a generational change. You know, you think back to your parents and your grandparents and what they went through, you know, at what age did they start working? Most of them started working early on in their early teens. And, um, you know, I did as well. Um, Nathan, I'm probably older than you are. And so yeah, I I, I would think so. I'm 29. Okay. And I don't know when you started working. when, When was your first job? I was I was 14 when I got my first job. Yeah. So, so I think for the um, for the generations that have come before, I think that's pretty much the average. You know, you got a job and you went through hard things. You learned hard things. You had a boss that came to you and said you're not doing things well. So I think just kind of innate in um, what um, kids were getting. I don't want to say back in the day, but before kids now. Um, was kind of that resilience training as they grew up. And although it wasn't formal, oftentimes informal, they learned how to be resilient. And, you know, of course, there's different kinds of resiliency. There's physical, mental, emotional, and social. And so um, to varying degrees, many of us would get those um, based on, you know, our social interactions, where we were going to school, whether we were urban or rural. Right. And so all of our, our situations were different. What we're seeing with kids nowadays is a lot of them, their first job is when they get out of college. Yeah. Or, you know, you're seeing that or when they graduate high school. And so, you know, to work eight hours or to even work four hours or to have a boss come and criticize them, they're not used to it. They've not had that training previously. Yeah. I feel like a lot of times too, um, there's a lot of parents out there that, and I, I think a lot of it comes from like our, like as young parents, our own trauma that we, that, you know, a little unresolved that, I mean, 
every parent does this. You project your issues onto your kid a little bit. Um, and, but, um, like the fearing of negative emotions, like a lot of kids, they say they have anxiety, but I feel like I'm finding a lot more that kids are experiencing anxiety and don't know how to cope with it. And that goes on long enough that it turns into some sort of disorder or some sort of distress that, you know, prolonged because they don't cope with it and they're fearful of it and they don't face it, um, that it turns into, turns into something more. Um, are you finding, you know, similar esque, uh, you know, like patterns popping up like that? For sure. That's, that's well said, Nathan. I think we see that um, quite a bit where um, they don't deal with it. They don't know how to deal with it. And we're seeing true, and I don't want to blame it on parents or kids, you know, times are right. just different, but different. we are seeing where parents, because of their trauma and the hard times that they went through, that they're wanting to be more protective of their kids. Right. Um, when I was growing up, rain, sun, snow, didn't matter. I, I walked to school and I, I had a trumpet and, you know, I had to carry this this trumpet that was for me at that age being, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say a weak boy, but I was growing and I was skinny. And, right, right, right. You know, and weren't as strong as some. <laughs> there you go. I was developing my physical resilience as I went to school over time. And um, nowadays, you know, even I'd say with our kids, if it snows or something happens, we, we, we take them to school and pick up. So we're doing more protecting certainly than we've ever um, seen before, at least in some cases. And so some of those, um, you know, those resiliency skills aren't being passed down, or if a child's experiencing unpleasant symptoms, or like you said, they're not dealing with something, oftentimes there's many distractions where we can avoid, you know, especially with gaming and social media and get lost in things and not deal with it until it becomes a crisis. And yeah. we oftentimes find that it's, you know, it's the rock in your shoe when you go on a long hike and it starts off where it's an annoyance, but then before you know it, you have a blister and, and mm-hmm. more problems with your feet and then you can't walk. And yeah, they're over there at the hospital. Have you seen a lot more uptick in um, social media and smartphones affecting um, the cases of kids that you're seeing in your hospital? Yeah, great question. So I think on two in two major ways. One is we're seeing kids aren't having the downtime mindfulness um, with cell phones and with social media. Um, you know, um, some of them are staying on their phones all night. So for number one, they're not getting sleep. Um, number two, we know just through the research and um, talking with individuals, the more time you spend on social media um, to excess, oftentimes it leaves you feeling depressed, um, especially if you're seeing, you know, the highlights of other people's lives and you're comparing it to your own. Right, right. That comparison culture, it it eats at you. For sure. And we're seeing a lot where kids um, feel like they have friends or they invite friends and then their friends say no and they make excuses. And then later they see their friends on social media, you know, taking pictures at another event with other friends. Without them. They said they couldn't. And I hear that a lot from kids and it's it's crushing or they comment on social media and other kids think it was mean. And so they call them on it and it affects them pretty emotionally Mm. um, when the kids pile on. 
Yeah, it's interesting. So I, I have a buddy. He's kind of messed up, but it's funny. So with with kids, you know, not being able to, I don't know, the, the handling of the emotions. And then social media is just a giant magnifying glass, amplifying what's already there. All that angst, all the insecurity, all the things that are there just gets magnified on social media. Well, my buddy, to help his kids feel some of those negative emotions, discomfort and deal with them on their own. When he goes shopping, when they get to the checkout line, he conveniently forgets the milk or something in the back of the store. Like, oh, crap, I got to go get this thing real quick. And he leaves his little 13 year old right there waiting. Everyone's watching. Everyone's staring at me. The line's waiting. Why isn't this moving? Where's my dad? Oh, my gosh. It gets a little anxiety but they learn how to deal with it. Like putting them in the situation on purpose almost. And I'm like, that's messed up, but that's also smart. I I agree with you. It's, you know, it's certainly a parent looking for a way to let their child go through hard times. Um, You know, and I think, you know, Nathan, your, your friend, although, you know, it might not be the mode that all of us think of when trying to let our kids struggle or, or even fail, but failure and learning from failure is one of life's biggest teachers and oh absolutely i feel like kids are crippled with perfectionism these days where if they can't do something right they think that death is a better alternative than to doing than doing something imperfectly we hear that all the time we 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 um as we talk to kids um I think one of the first things is certainly, and, and we've seen with some of the schools, I don't know what's going on in all the school districts, but we're seeing more in the curriculum, some of that resilience being built. And I do think, you know, as a school counselor, you know, especially if you have a child that's struggling or not getting those and, you know, to, to even if the parents are open to listening or going to counseling um, so that they can learn how to help their child you know, build that resiliency. And, right. and, and true, it comes with an affluent society. You know, you think about it, if you have the means to buy comfort and get your needs met, now that's not everybody. And I understand that. And, right. you know, I'm, I'm sensitive to those that struggle. But if you're in that where those things can be purchased or your comforts can be taken care of, or if things are unpleasant, be avoided, we're seeing that ability more than we ever have in history. Yeah, it's crazy. It is crazy. I mean, the kids, don't get me wrong, they are amazing and resilient, but I feel like they also need a little extra guidance because, well, a lot of, I mean, the, the young parents right now, they, they, we're the ones who taught them how to depend on social media so much, right? Like with only, only posting about them when they do something great or whatever it is. And so, you know, they have this dependency, they have this comparison culture. And, and so I feel like a lot of the resiliency, I mean, we're not blaming parents here, but we can also help our kids be resilient by how we talk with and about our kids with our kids. I totally agree. And, you know, even sharing examples um, from your life, you know, parents with their kids, like sharing your struggles, like kids think you're some super, like talk about your struggles. You're not perfect, right? Like they don't need to be perfect either. So talk about your struggles. I I, I sure agree with that. I like, I like that. Um, and how you overcame it is great examples. My, I had a dad that used to do that with me. And so with my kids, I've made sure that, uh, you know, I'm telling on myself a lot here, but you know, um, probably because of what you said earlier, Nathan, my trauma, 
I sit on the ed- end of my kids' beds at night before they go to sleep, and I say, "How are things going? How are how are your friends doing? Right. How you know are you feeling? Are you where are your struggles? Where are your challenges? You know, tell me." And I really have to stop myself from wanting to rescue or change it. Oh my I, gosh, yeah. I've had to step back and say, "Well, what do you think you should do?" Well, you know, let's try that or. You know, um, if I feel like they're way off the mark, I might say, well, here, here's some ideas. Here's, you know, maybe some options you can choose from, but letting them do it and not doing it for them. When they're struggling and we listen to them, that, that opens the door for them to solicit our advice. When we give our unsolicited advice, it goes one in the ear and out the other. Uh, but then when we're talking to them and we actually say things like, okay, well, how do you feel about that? And then one day they come up to you like, hey, so I got a situation and maybe I could use some advice. And you, all you hear is, I've trained my entire life for this moment. <laughs> yeah. and, and, but, so true. <laughs> and it works out just fine. And yeah. so, I don't know, parents, we want to we want to help build resiliency in our kids so that, you know, so that Provo Canyon doesn't have to impatient your kids. For sure. Um, but if they do, rest assured, they will take care of you guys. Um, you guys got plenty of resources. And before someone is discharged, they have a safety plan put in place, correct? Yeah, they do. And in fact, we've even taken it an extra step. Now, we haven't done this with all school districts, but we do have a return to school program. And we've worked with some of the local school districts where just instead of them coming to the hospital and then showing up the next day at school, mm-hmm. is taking that time to do a back to school meeting with the school and where we can identify some of the needs they might have, you know, with the parent and then provide any of that kind of bridging information to the school where the parent allows us and the and the school wants to do that. And yeah. we've been doing that in the school districts down here. And so we do a safety plan for home, but we've taken that additional step of doing a safety plan at school. I like that. Um, and so if school counselors are interested in doing that, or if they would like to do something similar at their school, we're happy to share any of that information and, and that program and process with awesome. them. Awesome. Well, man, this has been an awesome conversation as per always enjoy chatting with you. Um, so thanks so much for your time and everything. And thank you for listening to this week's episode of the sounding board from the Utah School Counselors Association. Hope you all have a wonderful day and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Sounding Board. Email the sounding board at utschoolcounselor.org to send us your questions and ideas. If you like our podcast, please rate and review our show. It helps other school counselors to find us. Links and additional information for any references from today's episode are in our show notes. Check out our website at utschoolcounselor.org where you can listen to past podcast episodes, register for any of our professional development opportunities, and become a member of the Utah School Counselors Association. USCA members also receive a bi-monthly newsletter to stay up to date on current Utah School Counseling news, events, and issues. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Utah School Counselor and on Twitter at USCA Tweets. The mission of the Utah School Counselors Association is to support professional school counselors in their work for students through advocacy, professional development, recognition, and support. This podcast would not be possible without the support of our members. We'll have more ideas to share with you next week. Let's go.